by how the Lord is our leader, our guide. And uh, that's our, our theme for this morning. So let's pray as we begin to look at God's word again together. Heavenly Father, we ask now that you speak to us as we open your word. And we pray for the help of the Holy Spirit as we do so. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Don't forget, children, to look out for the, uh, the picture of a person. Um, so, oh, there we go. Get my, get my mouse set up now. Here we go. So, guidance for life. And grateful to Fred for reading from Psalm 27 earlier on, which is a prayer to the Lord about guidance. I want, you to, I want you to imagine that you're standing by a river and you're wondering as you stand on the banks of this river, as you see the, the, the river turn at its bend and disappear from sight, where will it go? You're wondering, you're thinking, where will it end up? You see a branch off the river and think, what if I went down there? Where would I end up? Where would, it, where would I go? Now, if you know your geography and you have a map, then you'll have an idea, won't you? You'll have an idea where it might go. But when it comes to our lives, we don't have a detailed map. We try to think ahead. Where will it go? And we have choices to make in life, don't we? Choices, everyday choices, big dramatic choices. And we think, am I making the right choice? Am I making the best choice? If I make a bad choice, have I blown it for good? Well, imagine you're standing on the bank of the river thinking, those kind of things through. Where will it go? And another question for us to consider is, or to keep in mind as we go through, is there one right path? And if we get off that one right path that God has for our lives, can we ever truly get back on track? That's a serious question, isn't it? And uh, have you ever thought that? Well, let's look at some general principles, general principles for making decisions. Now, first of all, talk to the Lord about it pray about it. Psalm 27 is about that, as well as Psalm 26. So Psalm 25, as you can see on the screen, uh, verse 5 says this, guide me in your truth and teach me, for you are God my saviour and my hope is in you all day long. And, and then back to Psalm 27 that we read from earlier on, verse 11, teach me your way Lord, lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. And we see people in the Bible praying for the Lord to guide them, praying for God to show them the right way to go. Our target, of course, is to obey the Lord and to do what he wants us to do, to follow his pathway, to follow his direction for our lives. Now, talk about it. God is good, isn't he? God is good. God has good works prepared for you to do. And we know that for sure from the Bible. And God loves you. You know that because he sent his son to die to save you. God loves you. So therefore, that means you can open up your heart about all your ideas, all your dreams, all the choices that you're considering. And we need to talk to him about it, just like people have done throughout history. And it's honouring to God to talk things through with him. It will do you good as well. It honours him because he's Lord and you're acknowledging that you need his help. But it'll also do you good as you speak to the Lord about your issues and questions and choices. One good thing it does as we pray to the Lord about these things is it sets our heart in the right attitude as we acknowledge his lordship over our life and trust in his fatherhood. We're saying as we pray, as we talk to the Lord about these things, ultimately you're in charge. We pray along the lines of Psalm 25, guide me in your truth and teach me 
for you are God, my Saviour, and my hope is in you all day long. Then verse 8, good and upright is the Lord, therefore he instructs sinners in his ways. And it says in verse 9, he guides the humble in what is right and teaches them his way. And prayer, true prayer is the opposite of being arrogant. True prayer is actually an expression of humility. The arrogant person presses on with their plans regardless, but the humble, humble person seeks God and acknowledges his lordship over their life. So talk to your father in heaven about your issues and decisions and questions. Seek his guidance. Jesus taught us to pray, didn't he, along these lines. My father in heaven, hallowed be your name. I want your will to be done. Your kingdom to come in my life as it is in heaven. So make sure that you talk to the Lord about it. The second general principle is this. What does the Bible teach us? What does the Bible show us? One of the things that we need to think about is what does the Bible command us or instruct us to do? Is there a command or principle that applies to your decision, to your choice? So, for example, should I apply for a job in a betting shop? Well, betting is based on coveting and greed, isn't it? It is presented as fun. And they say, don't, don't they make sure it's fun? Stop when the fun stops. But, and, and people do find some pleasure in gambling, of course, but it's addictive. And most people lose more money than they'll ever win. I've seen uh, men totally off their heads drunk coming out of um, Doncaster Racecourse when I used to work with the open air mission and uh, scared to go home to their wives because they'd lost thousands and thousands of pounds on a horse. And uh, I think of lives that are ruined with addiction to gambling and debt from gambling. So it seems clear to me that if I am to obey the biblical principle of do not covet, and if I am to obey the Bible's instruction to care for the weak and the vulnerable, then I cannot work in the betting industry. So there seems to be commands and instructions that would guide me in that. So is there a command, a specific instruction that we need to take on board? The next thing is we need to re recognize that the Bible contains specific instructions for specific people, often of a, at a specific time. So when we read through the Bible, we see that God tells the Israelites to build a tabernacle and to sacrifice animals. Now, should you do that? You read in the Bible, God says to the, his people, build a tabernacle and sacrifice animals. Should we do that? Well, no, because that was a specific instruction for the specific people at that time. We're not meant to do that. And I'm really glad about that. I wouldn't like to sacrifice animals. It's clear that this was an instruction to specific people at a specific time. And if we know that the big Bible's picture we can see that we're in the New Testament era and that Jesus finished those Old Testament sacrifices and the priesthood and the temple worship and so on. So that was specific instructions for specific people. But there are in the Bible instructions that apply to all Christians everywhere. And we need to distinguish those. For example, the teaching of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. All Christians, all disciples need to take that ever so seriously. And all that Jesus said. And all the, the principles in the Bible that are endless and important for all God's people, all time, to take on board. All Christians everywhere at any time need to read and understand what Jesus said about how we're to follow him. We're Christians, aren't we? It's in the name. So we need to follow what Christ said. We're members of his kingdom. So it's obvious we need to follow his instructions now, here and now. So find the instructions that apply to all Christians. And then also... We need to distinguish between what the Bible records and what the Bible endorses. So in the Bible, we think of Abraham, 
we had some studies on him fairly recently. Abraham had several wives, and he was a godly man of faith. Is that a bit, that a bit confusing? Does his example equal a command or permission? Should we have several wives? Abraham did. He was a man of God. Or is what the Bible says about Abraham marrying several wives a report of what he did? It wasn't right, but it was reporting what he did. And then when you read on a bit in the life of Abraham, you can see the consequences, the consequences of his decision back then. And they weren't good. And then we also need to think, well, what does the Bible actually specifically teach on marriage? How many wives can a man have? Well, we need to look through the whole Bible and see the big picture. And, well, you know the answer. God's intention was for one man, one woman to be married and uh, no more. That was the, that's the ideal, of course. And in Abraham's case, marrying extra wives was a, a cause of trouble in the family, wasn't it? Cause cause friction in the family. And, and big problems in future generations. So when we have the record about Abraham marrying several wives, it's not to teach us to do it. It's not God's will for us to follow, but it's a lesson to learn from. And the Bible contains stories of people's lives, and it tells us about mistakes they made, good and bad, warts and all. And we can learn from their mistakes, and we can also learn from what they did well. So we need to distinguish between the two there. And then, of course, we need to obey definitive guidance. We need to obey clear guidance. There are choices that we have to make where there is no clear instruction. Like, for example, uh, where you're on a walk and there's no sign. Where do you go? There's no sign saying this is the way. So where do you go? You have to look at the map. You have to read, the, read your compass. You have to weigh it all up and make a choice. And, you know, sometimes in life there are situations where we don't have specific clear definitive guidance but then there are times when we do so for example if a christian is weighing up whether to marry a non-christian person then the bible is definitive it is not wise you should not the bible says do not be yoked to an unbeliever now if a christian person is praying regards marrying another christian person then there's no command not to there's no definitive guidance not to because we're okay to marry another christian but of course, in that situation, we need to take on other factors of Bible-based wisdom that will be involved in the choice making. doesn't mean you can marry the first Christian you meet, <laughs> but uh, we still need to use wisdom in that case. And we're going to come to that in a moment. Let's think of another example. If I have a choice between working for a good car sales dealer or for a uh, super supermarket, then the Bible doesn't give me clear advice, does it? There's no verse in the Bible that says you should work for a car sales dealer. Or, no, you should work for a supermarket. The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible doesn't give me clear advice, but I can prayerfully choose weighing up all the factors. And we'll come to that in a moment. Another example, if I have a choice between working for an illegal arms dealer or for working for a car sales dealer, then what the Bible teaches is definite, isn't it? We shouldn't do anything illegal. So I can't work for an illegal arms dealer. So we can make sure that... Uh, from what God says, what we're doing is right or wrong in that situation where there's clear, definitive guidance. And our responsibility is to make sure that we're obeying what we know. And that's a good principle. Obey what you know. That's the first, one of the first things. Now, what does the Bible teach us? Now we next look to getting advice from trusted people. You'll notice there's some people in this picture. Um, the picture taken a long time ago. Don't forget your children to let me know who you can see in this picture, who you can recognise. Now, we need advice from trusted people. 
Have you spoken to people with experience and wisdom? We can see in that picture somebody with a map and uh, somebody with experience and wisdom who's making sure that the flock of walkers are going in the right direction. Now, when we think about getting advice from people, do we only ask the people who will tell us what we want to hear? Good friends, the definition of a good friend is someone who's willing to get you to look at things from different sides, maybe even trying to get you to think again about a decision, who's concerned for you, who tells you the truth, who tells you, tells you it straight. In the Bible, the Proverbs talk about rebuke and challenge from a wise friend. It's like a kiss. But the Bible also causes, tells us to beware of flatterers who see what you think and then tell you whatever they think that you want them to say. And that's not a good thing. That's not a good friend. Now, of course, people who are not Christians can give us good advice, too, on practical and technical issues, general wisdom, common grace, we call it. Not every Christian has all the answers to technical issues and so on. But be thorough in finding out the facts, talk to people, get advice from trusted people, and then assess all the information with the help of people who know God and weigh up decisions with good advice. Proverbs 15 verse 22 says, plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. Have the humility to talk to people and ask for advice. Now, the next thing we need to do in general principles is to look at our circumstances. Now, this is partly common sense. For example, God has given me a certain level of intelligence, certain level, a certain level of practical ability. And with what God has given to me, I know that I could never be a successful brain surgeon. I know that I could never be a successful fighter pilot because I don't have the eyesight. I have to, I've got contact lenses in, I have to wear reading glasses on top of those to see properly. So there's no point being a, a brain surgeon or a, or, a, or a fighter pilot. I can't see well enough. I can't multitask, I find it really hard. There are about 10 people helping me to operate this. Well, that's an exaggeration. Um, but several people trying to help me operate all this equipment. I haven't got enough memory uh, to remember things, so all, all the medical terms and so on, and procedures if I was a fighter pilot, I would forget so much. So there's no point me asking God if I should be a surgeon or a fighter pilot. It's not what I am. Hopefully I've got other gifts and abilities and uh, hopefully I can serve with those gifts and abilities. But I need to balance my aims and my dreams and choices with my circumstances in mind, how God has made me, where I am. Uh, if a person's married or single, that will make a difference. We have different responsibilities. If you're caring for parents, that will make a, a difference in your consideration of choices. Our circumstances make a difference, and God has put us in a place in our circumstances for a reason. I need to balance my aims and my dreams and my choices with my responsibilities to others and with how God has made me. And one of the great things we need to do when we consider our circumstances is to trust God and believe that God can open and shut doors for us. In 1 Corinthians 16, the Apostle Paul writes regarding uh, his team. Um, he says that uh, he's, going, he's going to stay on at Ephesus until Pentecost because a great door for effective work has opened to me. So as a missionary, he was seeing the situation he was in and a great door had opened for work, for the work of the gospel. So that's why he was going to stay on at Ephesus, even though he had an idea to, to move on. To, to Corinth. Now there are other times and places where the door was shut and they, they, they couldn't go where they were intending and they had to go somewhere else because the door was shut to them. The persecution of the church in, the, in early Acts 
that in a sense was a, a door shut to Jerusalem as many Christians had to leave there. The door was shut to them. So the door was closed there, but it led to opportunities to spread the gospel in places where those Christians traveled to. So a door was opened elsewhere and God was in charge of that. God is in control. We think of Joseph in the Old Testament. Doors were closed to him all around. He was hated by his brothers. He was sold as a slave. He was imprisoned on a false charge. The doors were closing. The prison doors were closing in on him, literally. It was all very difficult circumstances for him. But then doors were opening too. God was in charge. And God's plan was to open this door and that door. And eventually God's plan worked out and Joseph became a great ruler in Egypt. And one day uh, in Genesis chapter 50, his brothers were gathered to him after all those years, scared stiff that, that Joseph was going to punish them, punish them, this great leader of Egypt. And Joseph said to his brothers, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to bring me harm, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So we need to trust that when doors close to us, when our circumstances seem to hem us in, that God is in control. And maybe God is actually using those opening doors and shutting doors to, to nudge us, to guide us in the right direction. The experience of these doors opening and closing can be very tough, but it's all for a purpose. We need to hold on to God's goodness. The doors have closed for us, literally, haven't they, to meet in, a, in the church building for so many months. We're exploring ideas of maybe opening the doors so that we can start to meet together. But it's been frustrating and upsetting, hasn't it, when the doors close for us. God was in control of that. It's not taking him by surprise. We don't like it. It's not been a nice experience. But God has a purpose and he loves us. And he's planned the best for us. So we need to hold on to that fact. So when a door closes on what we had set our heart on, we need to trust that God knows best and to serve God faithfully where we are, where the door is open. And, you know, down through the years, many Christians have found that the doors, when they closed and the struggles that they had, were actually preparing them for future doors to open. So let's hold on to God's goodness in the middle of our circumstances when they're difficult. Trust Jesus to be Lord of doors opening and doors closing. And then fifthly, in the general guidelines, we need, we need a dose of patience, a dose of patience. In the end of Psalm 27, it says, wait for the Lord, be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. We need a dose of patience. Now, some of you, especially you of an older generation, might have heard the, the phrase, don't buy a pig in a poke. Don't buy a pig in a poke. Well, what it means is this, don't buy a pig in a bag without checking out the pig. Now, there isn't a, well, is there a pig in that bag you see on the screen? Well, I won't say. But in the olden days, when people went to markets and they were to buy an animal and a little piglet maybe, put in a sack, in a bag, and to be taken home to the farm to, to, to feed there and to grow, grow up there on the farm. And, of course, the thought is don't buy the pig without actually looking inside the bag to check what you've really got might not be a pig in there so make sure you check and uh, for those who are interested in a in a kind of words and so on the word poke in the phrase don't buy a pig in a poke is a kind of a uh, comes from the, the french word for little bag uh, i can't pronounce it so i won't bother trying to say it but uh, don't buy a pig in a little bag um, make sure you check inside first and make sure you get the pig out to check it out so when we make decisions we need a dose of patience to examine and to be careful and look at what we're doing with both eyes open. So a bit of advice there. The other thing is this, we all have cycles of emotion 
in our normal weekly and monthly rhythm. We all do, one way or another, men and women. And James Dobson, the Christian counselor and psychologist, talked about this reality. And like the waves of an oscilloscope, or if you, if you prefer the waves on the ocean, our emotions go up and down. They go up and down naturally over a period of time. And there are other factors as well, of course, that affect our, our cycle up and down, health issues, circumstances, depressions, as well as the good things which affect us as we go up and down. And his advice as a Christian leader was this, to never make a big decision when we're feeling really low, nor when we're feeling really excited. Never to make a big decision, a life-changing decision, when we're feeling really low, nor when we're feeling really excited. Always take a step back, wait for a while, weigh things up. Don't make knee-jerk decisions. Have some prayerful patience. Wait for the Lord. We need the discipline of not letting our emotions run away with us. And we need to acknowledge that our hearts can deceive us. Jeremiah 17 verse 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things, and beyond cure, who can understand it? So we need to be aware of our hearts and our emotions. So don't make a big decision on, with a knee-jerk reaction. Make sure you check inside the bag, see whether there really is a pig in, and uh, give yourself some time to calm down or to get a clear head before you make big decisions. So then, to, to sum up on these general principles, um, we can see this, that we need to talk to the Lord about things. It honours him and it helps us to get in the right frame of mind. What does the Bible teach us? Examine that carefully. Thirdly, seek advice from trusted people. Be willing to ask people who will disagree with us and challenge your point of view. It might, they might not be right in the end, but it's good to think things through. And then look at your circumstances and trust that God can open and shut doors. He's the Lord of doors opening and shutting. And then fifthly, then seek a dose of patience as well. A dose of patience. Now, if you imagine all these points as, as sticks, okay, you need to line up the sticks, line up the sticks. We need to aim to be praying, to examine the Bible, to get good, honest advice, to be realistic about our circumstances and our responsibilities. And we need to step back to allow ourselves time to think with a clear head. If we don't, then it's a bit like aiming for a target and we haven't got a clear line of tra trajectory and the sticks are all in the, in the wrong place. We need to examine and, and weigh things up and make sure we get the sticks as straight as possible before we make that decision. And if we can line up those sticks with our target of honouring God and obeying his will, if we've done all those things and there's nothing that rings alarm bells, the sticks are basically in line, then we can make our choices with faith in God and believe and trust in his sovereignty and uh, go forward with confidence in his will and way. So line up the sticks. Once we've uh, looked at all the evidence, weighed up all the factors, line up the sticks, and then trust God, move forward. Now, what about tea or coffee? What about tea or coffee, or maybe a cold drink? If someone asks you if you want a drink, do we have to line up all the sticks? Do we have to get our Bibles out, read the Bible, and then phone a friend and get some trusted advice? Do we have to do all that that we've considered in the general uh, instructions for making decisions? Do we have to line up all the sticks before we decide, yes, please, can I have a cup of tea or a coffee? Well, there are plenty of ordinary, everyday choices that we have to make. Crunching up cornflakes or porridge, a green dress or a pink one. Well, do we have to go through this careful decision-making process with these everyday choices? Well, the answer is no and yes. The answer is no and yes. 
Now, these are not choices between good and bad things, are they? We don't have to go through a careful decision-making process every time we choose anything, a cup of coffee or a cup of tea. But it's amazing that even in the ordinary, everyday choices, they will start, if we're a Christian following Jesus, they will start to be shaped by a growing understanding of the Bible, even the ordinary decisions. For example, the Bible tells us not to be addicted or mastered by things. So if I'm hooked on 10 coffees a day, I'm not doing my body any good, am I? I'm damaging the body where the Holy Spirit lives, and I'm not wise to drink 10 coffees a day. And so I need to make sure that I'm drinking coffee with moderation. So there's no, I don't have to get out the five sticks and line them up before I answer the question, uh, do, do I want a tea or coffee? But there, is, there are biblical principles that even shape whether we will drink a cup of tea or coffee or a cold drink or water. The Bible does tell me not to dress up as a woman. So that's very clear. So I can't choose a green dress. I can't even choose a pink dress. Gender distinctions are taught in the Bible. So that, that's clear there. But a woman is free to choose the colour that she likes. The colour isn't a moral issue. But there is an issue that if a man or a woman deliberately chooses to wear something that is tempting or flirtatious, then that is wrong, isn't it? The Bible's principles would not endorse that behaviour. So even having a cup of tea or coffee or a cold drink or, or what we wear is ultimately shaped by a biblical outlook, by biblical principles. Not that we have to go through the process of decision making every single time, as, as I said. But as we get to know the Bible better and better, we won't go through that same long drawn out process. But what we will happen is that our thinking will be shaped by the Bible and it will touch upon even our everyday choices we will find that even those little choices will be shaped by Bible instructions and principles. God doesn't give us detailed instructions about everything in life. We don't have to follow a list of rules and regulations when we get up in the morning, but even the time we read our Bibles or, 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 and, and so on. But we can see that the Bible's emphasis is on teaching us to learn to make good decisions and good choices in our everyday lives based on biblical principles. And so this these series of teachings have been about the Bible. And so it reminds us how important it is to get to know our Bibles. How important it is to have our minds shaped by biblical thinking. In Romans 12 verse 2, it says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. So God doesn't give us a whole list of instructions for what we do every single day. But he wants us to have our minds shaped by biblical principles and thinking so that we learn to approve what is the best thing to do in any given day. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 9 to 11, this is my prayer, Paul says, that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. So let's pray that we'll be discerning people, even over the ordinary, everyday choices of life. So then let's get back to the river. We're standing by the banks of the river and the Bible doesn't, or God rather, doesn't want us to, if you like, just stand there and do nothing. He doesn't want us to kind of stand by the banks of the river of life forever wondering where that river goes. He certainly doesn't give us a detailed map for our lives, does he? In, in great detail. What we need to do generally is as we stand on the banks of the river of our lives, we need to get into the boat. And we need to start paddling. The overall direction of our lives will be shaped by making wise and godly choices every day. 
Sometimes we get a bit paralyzed by thinking, where's this river going to go? Where's it going to turn? Where will that branch take us? Whereas what God wants us to do is to, to get into the boats and just obey him with the next choice and then paddle the next good choice, paddle the next good choice, paddle the next good choice and keep going, making good and wise choices in the ordinary everyday things of life. And as we do that, we will find that our lives, the journey of our lives is shaped by those godly choices every day. Now, of course, there will be big, bigger decisions to make. There's going to be a fork in the river here, a fork in the river there. But even there, our learning to make good choices in the everyday will help prepare us for those big choices when we do have to get those five sticks in a row and to make those big, important choices. You see, if we're being stubborn and not listening to God in the everyday, if we're just going on in arrogance in our everyday lives, we will struggle more to do what's best in those major choices of life. Now, the question we put earlier on, is that just one right path? And if we make a big mistake as Christians, will we ever get back on to that one path again? Will we forever have to settle to second or third, third rate Christianity or third rate Christian life because of our mistake? Well, I don't think it's as black and white as that. The Bible doesn't present that picture. If we look at the way that God used and developed all sorts of messy lives in the Bible, think of Jacob. A man who was so devious he could hide behind a corkscrew. Think of some of the other messed up lives that, that Jesus touched and transformed. Demon-possessed prostitutes. Peter the proud who deserted and denied Jesus three times. So it's not as black and white as making a wrong decision and then it all being messed up. The question is this. The most important question is, are you humble before God and repentant of your own sins now? That's the only real big thing problem for you being to be guided in God's will are you humble before God and repentant of your sins and if you are then the key thing is this where you are right now what is the next choice you're going to make now of course we can learn lessons from looking at the past but there's a very true sense in the bible in which we're told to not look back not look back but to look forward and so the question is What's the next godly choice you're going to make? You made mistakes in the past. You let God down in the past. But what's the next good choice you're going to make? Philippians 3 verse 13 says, Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. I press on, forgetting those things which are behind and pressing on. Now, of course, we do have serious responsibility for our choices and we do need to repent where we make bad choices, wrong choices. And no one gets it all right. None of us do. But thank God he forgives us and he's able to overrule and even to weave our mistakes into his will for our lives. And how he does that, we don't know, do we? But he does. And we can forget what is behind in that sense and make our next good decision for Christ and trust in God's sovereignty and his love. So right now, get into the boat. Get into the boat, everyone. Get the paddle and make your next good choice. Paddle for the glory of Jesus and keep on paddling like that. And one day you'll be able to look back amazed at how the Lord has led you. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, give us humble hearts to be willing to be guided, to be sorry for our mistakes of the past, to, re to repent. But Lord, to now paddle forwards making good choices for the glory of Jesus. And we pray for your help to do this, young and old alike, in the name of our Saviour. Amen.